Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and Pastor Tim brings us a message that shows us an interesting connection back into the book of Genesis. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. I haven't met you. My name's Tim. I'm glad you're here. Uh, there, there, is, uh, there are a lot of really great churches in our neighborhood, and it's not lost on me that you chose to worship with us on Easter Sunday. And so um, it's, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're with us. If you're if you are new with us, I hope you feel uh, very welcomed. I hope you find that the community that you walked into is um, hospitable and warm and kind. Um, we're, we're sometimes shy, but, uh, but uh, I hope you find that, that these people truly care, because that's been my experience, is this community truly cares. Um, if you're new with us, a couple, uh, couple of things about us. Um, uh, that we are trying to go after. My, our, our hope for you is that you would find this church to be a safe spot. Um, if you're in a space where you've got questions, uh, if you're in a space in life where it's like, I, uh, there's a lot of unknowns, and I don't, even when it comes to faith, like, I, just, like you're, I don't know, like, what do I do with this? I hope you find the church community that you're, that you're sitting in right now to be a space that you, those questions are um, not only accepted, but they're welcomed, um, that we can all grow in our faith and God meets us in the spaces we're at. Uh, that's the first thing. I, I hope you find the community to be authentic. Um, I hope you find, uh, I hope you have an authentic conversation with somebody today because uh, uh, there's just so much airbrushed and fake in our world. And um, we, need to, we need to see uh, that other people also go through struggles because we all are in struggles and we need to see that that's true for others too. And, uh, and so an authentic community is a big deal for us. And then uh, lastly, I hope you find that this, the stuff we, we talk about is actually helpful. Um, that that ho- I, hopefully it's worshipful um, and uh, hopefully we can do that, but also that it's helpful, that uh, life itself can be complex and complicated and um, and I hope that you find like, okay, this, the, the, as a church, we're working together to try to work with each other to move th- through it. So that, that's our hope. Um, but we're glad you're here. We're going to be in uh, Je- one of my favorite Easter passages in the Bible, Genesis chapter 15. If you have a Bible, Je- would you please turn to me to Genesis chapter 15? I say that kind of like tongue in cheek because um, Genesis is not a traditional Easter passage. However, um, I actually, I, I don't say it completely tongue-in-cheek. I, I think uh, that the, the story we're going to look at this morning uh, is tied to the Easter story in such a beautiful way. Um, my teacher, uh, that, uh, that probably the, the teacher that formed me the most and kind of poured into me the most is a gentleman by the name of Ray Vanderlaan. And when I had asked him back in the day, like, what, which of the Gospels is your for or is your favorite of the Easter passages? He responded with, you know, one of my favorite Easter passages is Genesis 15. And, uh, and I didn't understand it then, but now I think I do why this, this like, comes to life for me. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to take this passage from the very beginning of the Bible and uh, take the resurrection story that we've sang about and read, and I want to see how they're connected and how um, often I think what happens is we can get so short-sighted and say, okay, the, this is the resurrection story and miss that God has been 
But this story, God has been, he's been developing for 2,000 years prior to Jesus. Um, and in the moment of the resurrection, all kinds of things start clicking together for this first audience and then for us as well. Um, so we're going to look at that story. Uh, now, if you are new with us, a couple other things to know. Um, we, every week we take a passage of the Bible and we, uh, we study it. And I, I use that word study intentionally. Um, uh, we believe that one of the ways we are to love God is with our brains. Um, to, to be a person of faith is to, is to trust things that are hard to always see. Um, but to be a person of faith does not mean that we have to turn off our brains. And uh, in fact, Jesus, when asked what's the greatest commandment, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your hearts, so like emotions. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, so like with all your activity. Love the Lord your God with all of your strength. And love the Lord your God with all your mind. Uh, Jesus actually says, and then love your neighbor as yourself, of course, like let it play out in your life. But um, Jesus actually says one of the one of the ways we love God is with our brains and the the mind is meant for one thing and that is for thinking. And so uh, on this Easter Sunday, um, we're going to think. And uh, and one of the things we try to do here is we try to wrestle with the questions, the real questions, the honest questions, the sincere questions Uh, as a person of faith. I hope you know this, but uh, questions are okay. In fact, questions are not a sign of a weak faith. Questions are a sign of a faith that is alive. And, uh, and to ask the questions actually is a sign of a faith that is curious and growing and wants to grow. And uh, this morning, I want to wrestle with one of the most difficult questions of all. On this Easter morning, I want to wrestle with one of the most difficult questions of all. If you are in the church or part of the church, is probably a question you found yourself asking at some point or another. Um, or uh, I, might, I might plant the question in you and you're going to realize, oh, you're right. That is a really good question. What do I do with that? Um, but uh, we'll wrestle with it together. And I hope by the time we're done, um, there's, there's a little bit of clarity, at least. Uh, let me, let me back up um, before I get to the question. On Thursday, uh, we uh, gathered as a church and we explored, well, Thursday is in many ways one of my, um, so Maundy Thursday or Good Friday, one of my favorite services of the entire year. It's just such an honest service. And if you were with us, um, you know exactly what I mean. It's just such an honest service. Uh, and we looked at the, the story of the crucifixion of Jesus and the, the cross, and anytime we look at the cross, there's a question that I, I remember myself really wrestling with uh, for a season. And uh, I'm guessing it's a question you've wrestled with. It's a hard, it's a difficult question. Um, the question is, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Why die? Why, why death? Um, now, when we ask that question, if you grew up in Christian circles or have been in or around Christian circles, which you have because you're here. Um, you, likely there's like an autopilot, autofill answer that comes up anytime somebody says, why did Jesus have to die? Our brain autofills to Jesus died to forgive us from our sins or for our sins. And that's true, but it doesn't answer the, the question behind the question, which is, but why death? Right? Couldn't Jesus forgive us for our sins without having to die? Couldn't he just say, I forgive you? And couldn't God just forgive? Why, does, why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't God just have forgiven us? You got to give yourself permission to ask the questions. Because if you don't give yourself permission to ask the questions, you won't ask the questions. And if you don't ask the questions, you might miss out on something that the biblical text is trying to help us see. 
So ask the questions, even the ones that feel irreverent, like this one maybe feels like, oh, we can't ask that on Easter Sunday. Um, like, but ask, give yourself permission to ask the question, why did Jesus have to die to forgive us of our sins? Now, again, somebody's probably going to jump in and say, well, Jesus died to forgive us from our sins or for our sins because uh, Jesus is perfect. He was sinless and we are not sinless. And so Jesus got what we deserve and uh, we get what he deserves. So he got death, which is what we deserve, but, but we get eternal life, which is what he deserves. That's, again, that's true. But why? Why death? Um, why couldn't he just said, I forgive you, uh, humanity? Why couldn't we say, God, I'm so sorry. I know I messed up. Would you forgive me? And God say, yeah, I'd forgive you. you no, nobody's got to die. I forgive you. Uh, if my kids, so play this out. Um, I got three kids. And uh, if my kids mess up, which which they do, um, when my kids mess up and uh, if one of them is, you know, like he's, he's, uh, he's lied to me or she's lied to me or, uh, you know, they're, they're per- like purposely picking on their siblings. That happens pretty often at my kids' ages. Uh, when one of my kids messes up and they sincerely, which this happens less frequently, but they sincerely say, Dad, I'm so sorry. Uh, usually it's a forced sorry, but I get every once in a while I get a sincere, like, I am so sorry. So if they came to me and said, I am so sorry. I know what I did was wrong. I know it was wrong. Now, I have a couple options as a parent, right? Like I can either say, yes, it was wrong. Uh, I forgive you, but I got to punish you because I don't want you to do it again. That's an option. Or I could just say, yes, it was wrong, but you clearly have learned your lesson. I forgive you. But what I wouldn't say and I'm guessing as a parent, if those of you who are parents, you wouldn't say this. What I wouldn't say is, I see you're, you're clearly heartbroken over what you did. Uh, you're, you're sorry. So I do forgive you. But your sister who's innocent, she's going to have to pay. Like, that would, like, I would never do that. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So if as an earthly parent, that makes sense to me, okay, that I wouldn't punish somebody else for one person, why would God, the eternal parent, why would he say, well, well, I'll punish Jesus. You did bad things, but you're sorry, so I'll punish Jesus who didn't sin. Why why does Jesus Jesus have to die? That's a real question, isn't it? That's a real one. Um, Why couldn't God just say, I forgive you? Uh, Why why all the violence? Why all the violence? Um, And that, I think, is answered in a obscure little story in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 15. Uh, And if you're thinking, how on earth is Genesis 15 tied to the resurrection, uh, tied to the Easter story? My hope is by the time we're done, you're like, that's my favorite Easter story. Okay, that's my goal. That you walk out of here and you say, Genesis 15 is my new favorite Easter story. Okay, so Genesis chapter 15, let's begin by reading our text uh, together. Genesis 15, verse 1. After this... Okay, pause there. I'm going to already pause. Uh, if, you've, if you've been with us, um, in the beginning of uh, January, we started a series on Genesis where we've been working chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter. And uh, we've been seeing the story develop. Uh, most recently in the story, we, we meet this man named Abram. Abram, uh, when God meets him, he'll later be Abraham. But when God meets Abram, God says, I'll bless you and I will make your offspring into a great nation. Now, um, Abraham, if you know Abraham, uh, is he'll go on. This, this is going to happen for him. Abraham will be the father of three world religions, the th- three big world religions, 
Abraham is the father of Christianity. Like we trace our roots through Isaac, uh, Abraham's son, Isaac. Uh, Jews trace their roots uh, through Abraham's son, Isaac. And Muslims trace their roots through Abraham's son, Ishmael. But three major world religions all point back to Father Abraham and say, Father Abraham, that's kind of where our story begins. Okay, so God says, I'm going to promise you that. Here's the issue. This, this is the, the after this part. It's not looking like it's happening if you're Abraham at this point in the story. Now, we know how the story ends. So for us, it's like, well, it's coming, Abraham. Just be patient. What we're going to learn, this story takes place 24 years after God said, step out into a new land. I'll give you kids. I'll give you land. 24 years after God said to do this, there's still no kids and there's still no land. How would you feel if, if you felt like I'm trusting God and uh, 25-ish years go by and there's still like, it's just enemy territory, uh, childless. Uh, Abraham's not just childless. He's 99 years old in our story, 99 years old, 75 when he sets out. Now he's 99. And his wife, we're, the first thing we're told about her is she can't have kids. And God said, I'll give you kids. How would you think? How would you respond? As a person of faith, what's your prayer look like in that moment? I'll give you Abram's. Um, notice, notice what comes next. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Let me, let me translate. Awesome, God. Thanks for being my, my reward. However... You did promise me a different reward. So I'm, I'm grateful. Um, it's been 24 years. I'm glad you're my reward. But you, you did promise me kids. And I have been following you now for 24 years, and there are no kids. In fact, my family legacy is going into the hands of somebody else from a different family, Eleazar of Damascus. He's not from my clan. He's not from my tribe, my family. So, so thank you, but... What about like the promise? That's the reward you promised me. By the way, I love that Abraham is the father of the patriarch of our faith um, because it gives us permission to be honest with God, right? Like God actually says, okay, if you want to know what it looks like to be somebody who is in a real relationship with me, look at Abraham. See how honest he is with me? In fact, Abraham's going to get even more honest. He'll double down and say, and Abraham said, you have given me, verse 3, you have given me no children. Now he's even more direct. You've given me no children. A servant in my household will be my heir. Translation, okay, God, how? How? You're going to be my reward, my shield, all of that. But how are you going to live into the promise? It's been 24 years. I'm kind of getting worried. I'm kind of getting scared. I'm kind of thinking I cut my entire life off and there is no, like my future is dead. And then God's going to reveal a bit of the plan. God has a plan. He doesn't always show us his plan, right? Like God doesn't always show us kind of where our life is going, but, but um, he has one. And uh, he's going to give Abraham his, or Abram his plan. Here's, here's, his, here's his plan. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars. I like this next line. If indeed you, this is, I think this is God being funny. If indeed you can count them. Uh, then he said to him, which by the way, the answer to that is no, he can't. Uh, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
Abraham believed, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I'm the Lord who has brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Again, the future, like you promised me all these things, but how do I know, God? I'm scared. The future looks uncertain. So the Lord said to him, this is so weird, bring, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a, and a ram. How do I know, God? Okay, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Isn't that, I, I find that great. Like, okay, where's, where's this going? God, how do I know it's going to be good news? How do I know I can trust you? How do you expect God to like, show up in that moment? It's like, okay, here's what I need. I need a goat, <laughs> I need, a, you know, I need a, a heifer, and I need a young, I need like a couple of birds. Um, like, just go get the, anyway, notice what Abram, let's see, let's see where this is going. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. Uh, happy Easter. Um, weird story. Uh, arranged the two opposite of each other, in case you're concerned, the birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, time out. This is weird. Can we agree? This is weird. It's weird. God says, okay, hey, hey, you're struggling to trust me. I see this. Okay, I see this. Bring me a heifer. Bring me a goat. Bring me, like, give me some birds, like, and then Abram gets the animals, and his first instinct is, God never says to do this. He just decides, I, got, I guess God needs me to cut them in two and put them on opposite sides of each other, like facing each other. Uh, cut them in two. Not the birds, just the other ones, just the heifer and the goat and the things. Uh, what is going on? So uh, it's weird. Can we just acknowledge, like, this is, a, this is a weird story. Some of you are like, right now you're thinking, see, Mom, I told you this is, Church stuff is weird. This is why I don't go. <laughs> She's like, I told, but like, I'm here for the ham, but this is weird, mom. Like, acknowledge it. Acknowledge, right now, if you came and you don't come to church and you're like, I came because there's a family party, you're, you right now can lean over and be like, I told you it's weird. It's weird. This is weird. Okay, this is weird. We should be honest about this. And we also should be honest that, uh, so, so God says, bring me these animals. And then Abram immediately starts cutting them in half. Uh, he, it's almost as though God says, bring the animals. And in Abram's head, he's like, oh, I know what God wants. I get it. Like God, this, this is what I'm supposed to do with the animals. So it is weird, but it's not so much Bible weird as much as it is there's something going on in Abram's culture that we would consider to be weird, right? There's something in Abram's culture that like he knew that if these are the animals God wants, I got to cut them in two. That's weird in our culture. But in Abram's culture, it turns out that that's kind of something that lots of people did. Now, before we look at that um, and before we get like two oh, ancient people, they were so dumb. Look at us. So smart. Um, we got AI and self-driving cars soon and all, all those things. Like, like before we get to like, and I can, I can jump to that spot, but before we get a little bit too, like our culture's not weird. They were weird. Um, let me remind you that yesterday at South Harbor Church, we had a thousand people uh, who were looking in our building. It was awesome. It was a great community event. But the way we gathered our community for this event was we decided to get plastic chicken eggs, put candy inside of plastic chicken eggs that were laid by a magical bunny. That's normal. 
Right? So the cultures are weird. Like this is our culture. And like for us, it's like, that's not weird at all. That's what we do. That's just fun. Okay. Maybe Abram was like, this is just fun. I cut the animals in two. Okay. Like, it's just this culture. Like this is just fun. Don't judge the culture. Uh, when, um, when I was, by the way, my kid is terrified of the, the Easter bunny costume. And so every time he's like, I, I grew up in a culture. So now I don't know if kid, kids, are you still doing this? So just to make sure that, like, you know that my culture is weird. Um, when I grew up, uh, there was a thing that we used to do in high school. We actually tried to do it in high school once and got in big trouble for it. Um, but it was called the Gallon Challenge. Do kids still do this, Gallon Challenge? I don't even know if I want to give you the idea for what it is, but I'm going to. Uh, the Gallon Challenge is when you take a gallon of milk, and uh, you, it's usually boys that play the Gallon Challenge, usually not, not, not the ladies, but just the guys. Uh, and you try to drink the milk and hold all of the milk in your body. My point, <laughs> yes, the Bible is weird, but it's not so much that the Bible is weird. People are weird. Okay, so we're weird. We just got to acknowledge that people are weird. The person next to you is weird. They get, we're all weird. We're all weird. Culture is weird. What I find really brilliant about our God is that God continues, instead of being like, that's weird, quit doing that, God continues to meet culture after culture, and he enters into our weird things. And somehow in our weird things, God helps us to see through our cultural practices his goodness and his love and his grace. Again and, again and again and again and again. The, God, uh, the theologian, theologians refer to this as God accommodates us. Um, he stoops down to our level. Uh, and so anyway, this is weird, but what's behind the weird? Let me, uh, let me walk you through what's going on in Abram's head that God's aware of, uh, part of Abram's culture. Again, this is not, the Bible never says this is the right way to do it. It's just part of Abram's culture. This is what they did. In Abram's day, when two people wanted to make a promise, but not just any promise, uh, a really big promise, an everlasting promise. So not just a promise between you and somebody else, but between your kids and their kids and your grandkids and their grandkids, a promise that carries on from generation to generation, a promise that the Bible refers to as a covenant. Okay, that's the, that's the big word, covenant. When two parties wanted to make a covenant, in our world, we would say, we shake on it, or we sign on the dotted line. In their world, they would say, we cut a covenant. We actually have this in our language, so we cut a deal. Um, we're not actually killing animals when we say we cut a deal. It's something else in our world. But in their world, they literally said, we cut a deal, and then they would cut, they would gather animals. Here's the practice. And they would cut the animals in two, and they would place the, the halves of the animals on either side of a small ditch. Again, it's weird. Stay with it. Um, and then the blood from the animals would flow into the ditch. And both sides of the agreement would say, okay, are we, we going to do this? You know what happens if you break it? Both sides would take off their sandals and they would walk through the blood. Uh, my teacher referred to this as a blood path, okay, a blood covenant. They would walk through the blood. The idea being, as soon as my feet hit the blood, I'm saying yes to the agreement. Here's what that means. Here's why the, the tearing of the animals. If I break my end of the deal, if I like, go back on my promise, may this happen to me. 
Just like the animals' bodies were torn in two and their blood was spilt, if I break my promise, may my body be torn in two and may my blood be spilt. And so both parties would walk through the blood. The whole idea was of the, of the animals is, do you understand how serious this covenant is? How serious this, pro- this promise is? Now, there's two sides to a covenant. Usually, two groups of people or two people make a covenant. In this case, um, we have two people making a covenant. Which two people or two parties? Abram and God. Abram and God say, okay, let's, go, let's do this together. Let's make a covenant together. Now, um, what are the terms of the covenant? God says, I will promise you what? Children? Land. Land and kids. You've been doing this for 24 years. You don't see land or kids. You're freaking out about it. I'll give you land, or, land and kids. Trust me. Okay, what's... But by the way, does God fulfill his promise? Yeah, yeah. Abram, Father Abraham has many sons and many sons. I mean, he has lots of land. He acquired, okay, he's a nation. Now, what is Abram's side, his terms of the covenant? What's his side of the deal? That's tougher to see in the text. Um, however, this particular text has a retelling of the same text uh, that comes just a chapter later. Let's see if you can see Abram's side of the deal. This is Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. God's end of the covenant, land and kids. Abram's end of the covenant. Walk faithfully and be blameless. Now, can Abram be blameless? Without sin, can he do it? No way. He, as soon as his pinky toe hits that blood, he's a dead man. He's a dead man. So why would God put him in this position? What is going on? Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. Um, That's foreshadowing to the the slavery in um, Exodus that's coming, uh, slavery in Egypt. By the way, like God in some ways is saying, hey, listen, the promises take a while sometimes, Okay. You're 24 years, like that's a long time. But understand, don't give up on me when this happens later, okay? But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What is that? Again, it's, it's uh, foreshadowing. Um, so he gives them the plan. You're going to have land and you're going to have kids. But then this. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Okay, so Abram falls into a deep sleep and then he sees a a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch. What's the deal with the fire pot and the torch? Two questions. First question. Who is the first audience of this text? 
the Israelites. The first audience, even though this is the first book in the Bible, the first audience are those Exodus people. The Israelites, as they've been freed from slavery, God, we call these the books of Moses. God gives Moses, their leader, this, this, these stories. And these stories are kind of the, the foundation stories for who they will become. Okay, so the, the first audience are recently freed slaves wandering a desert. Second question. How does God appear most frequently to those people, those recently freed Israelites? By day, they follow a pillar of smoke or cloud. By night, they follow a pillar of, I heard it over here, fire. Fire. Uh, Moses goes up on a mountain, Mount Sinai, and the people say, God met him on the mountain. Why do they say that? What descends on the mountain? Smoke and fire. So when you read smoke and fire pass through the blood, how does the first audience hear it? Who passes through the blood path? God. God says, I'm in on this deal. I promise you, you get land and kids. Now, there are two parties to a covenant. Does Abram ever take a step into that blood. No. No, it's an odd covenant because Abram never once, he doesn't put his little pinky toe in there. He knows what will happen if he takes a, even touches it. Now, don't miss the significance of this. God enters into a covenant because Abram's afraid. I don't see the promise, God. The future looks uncertain. So God says, I'll meet you. I'll enter into a covenant. You can, pro- you can trust me. And how will I help you to trust me? I'll go through the blood. Abram, don't you put a foot in it. You'll never keep it. And my teacher said, this is his favorite Easter sermon, because in this moment, the only way to, the only way to finish this story is God himself, because God made the covenant, but he made it on behalf of Abram, a man, God would have to become man and he would have to die. Why death? Because God keeps his promise. He keeps his, God will never break, break his covenant, never break his covenant. Could this be that this is the exact moment where God says, I know the end. Abram, you're afraid, but do you know what it's gonna cost? Now, if you're thinking, I don't know, that feels like a stretch. Is it? Listen, this is exactly how the first Christians talked about this moment. Uh, in a book called Hebrews in your Bible, we don't know the author of Hebrews, um, but the book of Hebrews is all about trying to explain the Jewish sacrificial system and how Jesus fulfills the Jewish sacrificial system so we don't have to keep doing the sacrifices. Uh, in that, that explanation, this story is referenced. And notice how the author of Hebrews describes what's going on in this moment. Verse 13 of chapter 6. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. That's our story. He swore by himself. Now, by the way, speaking of the sacrificial system, let me nerd out on you for a minute. Uh, Speaking of the sacrificial system that's in the book of Leviticus, 
They're, the sacrificial system in Leviticus is essentially, it's a hard book to read because it's essentially, here's a bunch of animals and here's how you kill those animals and here's what to do with the blood of those animals. It's a hard book to read. Um, but when you, when you look at it through the lens of this particular story, it's actually a pretty fascinating book to read because guess, guess which animals the entire sacrificial system is built around? I'm going to need a heifer, I'm going to need a goat, I'm going to need a couple birds. It's the sacrificial system of Leviticus. The entire thing was a way to say, do you remember what God did? The culture all around them was saying, oh, if you want to make God happy, you got to kill your son. Right? God demands sacrifice. That was the culture. God says, no, no. If you want to know that you're okay, remember the covenant. But how do we know we're forgiven? Fine, take the animals and reenact it. Okay, you'll be, you'll be reminded, reenact the covenant, but do not sacrifice your children. Don't do it. Now, that covenant sacrificial system included a daily sacrifice. Every day, you would kill two lambs, one at nine in the morning, first thing in the day. You would, the, the, the high priest would blow a uh, ram's horn known as a shofar, and they'd blow the horn, they would lift the knife, and they would kill the lamb, its blood again reminding you that you've been forgiven. Then, later in the afternoon, a second lamb would be brought out. 3 p.m., according to the Talmud, a Jewish text. At 3 p.m., the second lamb is brought out. The high priest would raise a knife. The shofar would blow. They would kill the lamb. But it's blood reminding you that God has forgiven you. That the, the, it's blood reminding you of God's eternal covenant that he made. 2,000 years, two lambs every day. Jesus is arrested. Uh, he's betrayed by a friend first, then he's arrested. He has a highly illegal trial, highly illegal under the cover of the night. They, uh, then they, they mock him. He doesn't put up a fight, not once. Um, they twist a crown of thorns on his head. They put purple on him. He's a king, look at him. It's just mocker. It's mockery. They spit on him, and then they lead him they put a beam of a cross on his shoulders. Then they lead him to the place where he'll be crucified. And then he's nailed to the cross. And Mark tells us, it's a passing detail. Most of us, we read the detail and we don't think much about it. But Mark tells us this happens when? At 9 a.m. At the very moment the shofar's blowing, the whole nation's quiet. This, this, is, this is Passover. The whole nation's quiet because they knew that this is the promise. The shofar blows, that, that lamb is killed. Jesus Christ is nailed to the cross. Mark tells us he hangs there for six hours. And then uh, at 3 p.m., at the exact time, at the exact time, a second lamb is brought out. The shofar is blown again. The ram's horn is blown again. The knife is raised. At the exact time, Christ cries out with this, all the strength left in him, cries out in a loud voice, it's finished. It's finished. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. For 2,000 years, they were killing the lambs to remember this covenant. But you have to wonder in their head if they're a bit like, a bit like Abraham. Where is this going? How is God going to keep the covenant? Not, how is he going to do it ultimately? How do we know? 
nobody saw the cross coming. Paul will say that the cross was foolishness to that generation because nobody saw it coming, that this would be how God is going to keep his covenant. Come with me to Easter Sunday. Uh, Two women go to the tomb, and uh, they go to the tomb because they're they're going to anoint the body of Jesus uh, for burial. Um, They go there because essentially they got to put uh, perfume on him because they assume he's beginning to rot. It's pretty morbid, but that's what they think. And so they go to the tomb to cry over Jesus and to anoint him so that he doesn't smell. And uh, they get to the tomb, and they, they look inside, and they panic. Someone stole his body. This is going to be a scandal. What do we tell people? Someone stole him. They're met by angels and say, no, 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 no. He's risen. He told you this was going to happen. He did it. He's risen. Look inside. Look where he was. He's not here. Not because he's been stolen. He's risen. And the women, it clicks. Jesus, a couple couple nights ago, the night he was betrayed, said some words to them, said some words to the disciples. Here's the essence of the words. Remember that first covenant. It's about to be completed. But now I enter into a new, we use the word testament. Testament doesn't mean much to us, right? We don't say the word testament. It doesn't mean a whole lot. We think of it as the second half of our Bible. Testament or those um, Altoid copyright infringement uh, mints that they used to sell. Testaments. No? No? Okay. Uh, (laughs) We don't think about testament. The word testament means covenant. Jesus says, I'm entering into a new covenant with you. Uh, Let me just read you a piece of what he says. John 14. This is part of a longer, longer sermon. But he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me also. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Does God break his covenants? Jesus says, here's the new covenant. No more killing of the animals. I need you to know your sins are forgiven, though. You're going to watch the old covenant get fulfilled. But the new covenant is this. Trust me. Put your hope in me. Believe in me. And you will have an eternally deep life now the kind of eternally deep life now that goes on for eternity. It's eternally deep and eternally long. Trust me. Don't be troubled. Don't freak out. Trust me. Okay. Um, So what? Uh, This is, information's always good if, if we learn something. That's always good. But if information doesn't lead to transformation, so what? Right? I mean, if we're honest, especially in a church setting, we all get a lot of information. If information doesn't actually lead to us looking different, uh, I, I want to be a better man. Anybody else want to just want to be a better person? I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better son. Um, I, need this, I need the scriptures to change me. Uh, the image I've had a lot lately, lately I used to think of, like, I want to be a, the language I would use is I want to be a channel for God's love. Like, I just want to be a channel and like, God, you love me and I'm going to try to love people. I've been trying to think of this language of, uh, of reservoir. Like, I want to be something that like, um, when people are in drought, like God has created something so deep in me that like, his love is, 
Um, I want to be a better person. I need this information to go beyond here and go here, and I think you do too. Um, my hunch is that's why you're here. Uh, if this doesn't help somebody, uh, uh, the, the boy who stares at the computer and his, he sees souls destructing images and they just keep coming in and as they come in, his soul feels like it's self-destructing. If it doesn't help that guy. Um, if it doesn't help the, the kid who's, or the, the, the single person who's so lonely, so lonely that they wonder, am I ever going to find anyone? Is this it? Is it my dawn? Um, if it doesn't help the couple who right now is like, you're just struggling. You're struggling. Um, I, uh, on Thursday, we had our service, and after the service, uh, so if you weren't part of it, we uh, filled out note cards, and um, we asked people to write out their prayer requests. Um, what are you asking God for? Because we would like to ask God with you. And, uh, and so, anonymously, but written out, um, people wrote the note cards, and uh, Chris Thompson and I were sitting on the stage afterwards reading and praying through these note cards and um, some of the things that we carry is so absolutely gut-wrenching. I don't think my dad's proud of me. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I aren't talking right now. Just, just heartbreaking things. A couple from children, you know, I don't know if mom and dad love me. I don't know that they love each other. Here's what resurrection means for us. The new covenant, it's good. When Jesus says, it is finished, it is finished. That list, while those feel real, the list that we keep against ourselves, the, the thing we said that we wish we didn't say, the damaging words that were said to us that we carry with us, the list all of the mistakes, all of the lies, the list. It holds no power over you. It's a lie about who you are. It's not true. Second thing it says, you can trust this God with an uncertain future. You can trust him. For 2,000 years, they didn't know how it was going to play out. No one saw the cross coming. If you're finding yourself right now thinking, I'm in the middle of something and I have no idea how it's going to pan out. I have no clue. No clue. Um, maybe you're, like, you're finishing up high school and you're thinking, okay, college is coming, but everyone assumes I'm going to college, but I'm not even sure if that's the right move for me. Or uh, I'm going to go, but I have no idea what I want to do with my life once I go. Or I'm going into the business fields or the work environment, but I'm worried that if I choose that path, I can't get back into the other path. And I got, it feels like I got like three months to make this choice, and it feels like my whole life is in limbo based on this choice. Or uh, you're dating this person, and this person's like, is this the right person? God, is, am I supposed to marry this person? What happens if I get six months in and I find out that this person doesn't love me, doesn't, doesn't respect me, doesn't care for me, doesn't carry my faith? Here's the good news of Easter. We can trust God with an uncertain future. Doesn't mean we're not involved. Doesn't mean we're not partnering with God. That's Abraham. But we can trust him. We can trust him with a future that, we, that, that remains largely uncertain. Jesus will whisper to his disciples again and again, don't worry about tomorrow. God's got it. You can trust this God. You can trust this God. 
one of the gifts that we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday is the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, we, we see a God who keeps his covenant. And he extends a new covenant to us. And this new covenant, there's, there's, there's no kill this animal. There's no, there's, like, there, the new covenant is simply, do you trust him? And that invitation is extended to us. And that, the first Christian said, well, that's really good news. That news, if it gets into people's heads, if that, if that news gets here, that's going to change the world. If people actually understand that that's all, like, this is going to transform the world. And religion, since that moment, kept saying, well, what about the other rules we should ask people to do? What about these other things? And the first Christian said, no. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, uh, for, any, for anyone here this morning who um, has not said yes to you or for, has entered just a dark season of cynicism, just a dark season of cynicism, Jesus, I pray that your spirit would make, uh, would do what my words can't do and would make, um, Lord, that would help their heart come back to life. Lord, if anyone has not said yes to you, I can think of no better day for them to hear that you have said yes to them. And then, Lord, for all of us, for all the things we carry, the, the, the note card after note card after note card of, of just, uh, I can't imagine how many tears have been spent on every one of those note cards. Jesus, we need you. We need to be reminded that we can trust you with this future. We can trust you. Uh, Lord, would you... Would you allow that truth to shape the inner being? Lord, would you allow that truth to shape our, um, our souls? Would we be people of great peace because uh, you're a God who gives us peace? Um, Lord, on this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate that on the day death died, you declared to the world that all things live. Bring us back to life, Jesus, we pray. And Jesus, we pray this in your name. And everybody said. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.